Support for this podcast comes from Blackline and U.S. Bank. Hi, this is Rob Cornog, CFO of Punchbowl Social, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 225. As a finance leader, are you driving driving change organization? How are you driving change within your organization? In this episode, we speak to Ben Mulling, CFO of Tenty Casters Incorporated. What we see, at least in our industry, and we deal a lot in the medical industry, is that you can't relegate everything down to a piece price. And a lot of people like to do that when you're talking about, you know, cheap little parts. But when you're talking about one of the big things here in the U.S. is risk and liability and exposure. And when you're dealing with medical companies that are multi-billion dollar companies and they're talking about the risk and exposure and liability they have, the last thing they want to do is go and, you know, save $50,000 a year on buying some cheap part from a low cost provider overseas. Um, and at the same point in time, increasing the likelihood of some sort of a um, some sort of a product recall or a quality issue. You know, we have some medical manufacturers that they they won't even change their supplier unless you can save them a half a million dollars because they'll say it costs us a half a million half a million dollars to do the FDA regulation, the FDA process, certification process. So unless you can save me X amount of money per year, it's not even worth me switching. Listen to our complete interview with Ben after these words from our sponsor. Many accounting and finance professionals are facing a sizable obstacle these days. In this age of data enlightenment, their financial close processes leave no time for data analysis. The very activity that opens the door to new opportunities and career advancement. Blackline has the answer. By automating, centralizing, and streamlining financial close operations, Blackline customer organizations are now ready for the data-centric world, allowing their finance and accounting professionals to open the door to new opportunities. To learn more, visit blackline.com forward slash CFO. Hello, we're speaking with Ben Mulling, CFO of Tenty Casters Incorporated. Ben is the finance leader for the North American business of Tenty Casters, which, as its name reveals, is in the, the wheel or casters manufacturing business today. Ben, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, Ben, demand for uh, Tenty Casters offerings continue to be driven uh, by certain key industries. Isn't that right? It's a, it's kind of an interesting market because um, for us, for example, for our company, we're really involved in the medical industry. And, you know, you really don't think about everything that are on wheels um, in the medical industry. But, you know, try to walk in a hospital and count the number of things that are on wheels. And I would say you'd find about 80 percent of all equipment, whether it's a people moving equipment or a technology moving equipment are on wheels. Um, and that are getting replaced at a very quick rate. And the funny thing is, is you think wheels, they have a life cycle. You would think, oh, those wheels, you know, they last 20, 30, 40 years. They do. But the problem is that technology is coming into the industry, not in the form of how the wheel is changing, but the things that the wheel attaches to. So very few hospitals want a hospital bed that is 40 years old, right? Very few hospitals want a ultrasound cart that's even five years old. 
So what happens is they upgrade the t equipment, they upgrade the technology, which then it updates all the ancillary products that go with it, meaning casters. So while our casters have a high quality, a long life cycle, they tend to not be out in the field very long because of how things get turned over a lot in terms of technology around it. You know, it's kind of like um, everything else in terms of technology. You think of, you know, iPads and iPad cases. You know, they come up with new designs and things like that every month or every year, not because the technology uh, has changed at all. The iPad is still functioning, but it's because they come out with a new version of it. So you got to get a new case and you think about, you know, technology, all the different marketplaces that are solely changing based on a new size of a mobile device or um, a new, you know, how the diameter changing or the width changing or something like that. And that requires new cases and new covers for it and new chargers for it and all those things. You know, that's sort of you don't think of casters as a sexy, glamorous product that changes very often. But the products around it does, which means you know, more business for us, which is good. You know, it's, it's good, but you, it's not just, it's not just the medical industry. It's also an entertainment industry and other institutional markets. Um, you talk about shopping trolleys and things like that. You know, people don't like going to a supermarket and you hate getting that cart that has the dreaded fourth wheel that seems to be uh, off in a mind of its own, you know, things like that. Those are all things that um, shopping areas are doing to have to compete with other people to make you feel like you're having a better shopping experience. So that all trickles down to our business, which is a, it's a neat thing to be involved with. Would many of us likely be surprised by the amount of R and D that goes into your offerings and is behind uh, your products? You would, because I am, um, quite honestly, that's one of the things I put a lot of emphasis in that because I'm a a tech-minded slash finance-minded person. Um, sometimes it's creativity and engineering sort of struggles with us sometimes with having that finance mind. Um, but it's something that I try to put a lot of focus on, which is trying to understand the engineering behind um, the casters when you talk about things like um, swivel resistance and roll resistance and brake force and tolerances like that. And the fact that there are actually um, standards governing um, a lot of these tolerances in the caster, depending on what, what industry you're in. Um, you got to think as well, when we're in the medical industry, um, a lot of our suppliers are FDA regulated because, you know, you think of a hospital bed. If, if you have a wheel snap on that hospital bed um, and it tips over and somebody rolls off and gets hurt or something like that, you know, that kind of stuff can roll all the way down to us from a liability standpoint. You don't think about that, but the casters sometimes are the most important part on things like a hospital bed because it's what brings stability to the entire device itself. Um, so, yeah, you I think you would be surprised at the engineering and the technicality behind um, the casters designing themselves. Now, who would be the uh, who's buying the casters in the healthcare sector today? Is it large healthcare uh, companies themselves? You don't you don't deal directly with the uh, well the manufacturers of these devices, I suppose. Yeah, we we deal with both. Um, so we'll deal with uh, OEMs. We deal um, with people you think of like uh, Hillrom or Stryker. You know, big players in the medical industry, and then you have other players like GE or Philips or Siemens. Um, Paramount, who um, maybe they make some of their own equipment or they have a, a contract manufacturer that makes some of it for them. 
you know, it seems to be what you're finding is a lot of these major medical device manufacturers, um, they tend to contract out the actual manufacturing of the device, but the R&D is really where they see their values. They put a lot more of their company resources and emphasis from a human capital standpoint on the R&D portion of their of their product and not the exact the actual manufacturing of it. So what are the key metrics that are giving you visibility into this business today? What are you watching closely? Um, we tend to look at things like healthcare spend. Um, obviously, our GDP, the percentage of healthcare spend, has increased um, every year, year over year, for probably 15 years and continues to increase. Um, when you think about macro level things, those are that's one of the things I look at because we're we're heavy in the industry. Um, I tend to look at some of the construction indexes where you can see what manufacturing orders are doing, um, what's happening with new constructions, because when you talk about industrial purchases, um, a lot of that trickles down to industrial business. Um, those are all macro level things that I would uh, that I would look at. So we've begun to ask our finance leader guests how they are today helping drive growth. Let me ask you that same question. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. If you talk to most people, um, when you talk growth, they think sales, right? They just think our sales are up this month. And that's part of it. Uh, I mean, obviously, that, that is a part of it. But I think when you strictly, when you start to see the business from a macro standpoint and understand really all the components of your business and your operations and what drives it forward, you understand that growth isn't just driven by one sales number on a chart every month. Um, a lot of it comes into growth of your capital, your human capital. Um, and so there are things we look at internally from a human capital standpoint in terms of certifications. You know, what are my accountants internally doing to get their CMA? Um, to go and get their CPA, to get graduate degrees, things like that, um, college education, continuing education. And that's not just on the professional side, but also in the manufacturing side. When you talk about things like um, specific molding changes, uh, training, um, CNC training, other kind of technical training like that. Um, to be competitive internally, you have to, especially for a small or medium sized company, you have to be able to train those people, not just from a professional standpoint, from a technical standpoint, up. Um, and you also have to give them the motivation that, hey, there's something or somewhere for me to be in five years and that I'm not going to be the same thing. And I noticed that among people the last maybe three or four years, the more I focus on human capital management, that most people, they, they enjoy getting the extra pay by being developed from a personnel standpoint. But most of them are driven just by the respect that they get by knowing that, hey, you are investing in their minds, you know, that you're investing in them um, growing and that you're putting faith in them to help grow your company. Um, and there's intangible benefits that you get out of that that you just don't see by saying, oh, you checked off this training class. Now I gave you a dollar per hour. You know, people feel more loyalty when you invest in them. Um, they're willing to put more of their efforts into helping you drive forward. So from a growth standpoint, that's a big part of it. That's something that we've really come head to head with the last few years. And it's even hard right now and having to do that to stay competitive because the marketplace is just finding talent right now is probably one of our top three items that we are dealing with from a, 
a pain point for the organization, um, even in finance, is finding talent. is It's really hard right now to get people to come in and that, you know, one, are available to work and two, have a drive to do it. Um, are some of the characteristics that we keep on uh, hearing in the press regarding millennials, has this made it a larger challenge for you? Actually, no. I mean, and I can speak because I, I am a millennial, so I can actually speak. I'm, I'm very early into the millennials, but I still am in there. Um, so I can kind of speak towards that. And I can say that you know, one of the things that they really enjoy is they enjoy getting the respect um, from being invested in from a human standpoint and from a development standpoint. Um, and they also enjoy the flexibility and being able to work with a company that's willing to show loyalty to them and allow them to give them flexible work environments um, and motivation techniques. Um, and I think for me as a small, medium-sized company, um, that actually gives me a leg up on certain larger companies because a lot of times they have corporate structures that don't allow them to do that, that don't allow them to be flexible, to be flexible with schedules and management styles and things like that. Whereas I think with a small or medium-sized company, it makes us, we're, I say one of our uh, strategic advantages against some larger companies would be our flexibility and our ability to adapt how things change for our different employees so if anything, it's made us probably a little bit more competitive in coming in, bringing talent in, because we just, I mean, I was having a conversation today that I said, what do you need your work schedule to be? We want it to be this. And the guy said, well, I want to spend more time with my family in the evenings and the early afternoons. Could I do this? And I said, yeah, we can do that. That's no problem. I don't think a larger company has the ability to do that kind of thing, or at least be able to respond. Now, do you currently measure, uh, say, employee engagement, or are you? Uh, how are you measuring the workforce performance? Now, that's a that's actually a really good question. Um, I've always struggled with how we do measure that. Now, uh, we've done employee satisfaction surveys before, but again, that's a little bit different than an engagement survey. So, you think you just give them ten questions, they circle one to five, and people say that's an engagement? Um, no, it's not. So. Um, we tend to do annual um, satisfaction surveys, but this last year we actually did an employee engagement survey, which basically said, you know, what are the reasons that would keep you at your company? And what are the things that you enjoy most about your company or you like least? And if you could add a new benefit, what would it be? And do you feel like you have the tools to help you grow in your position? We've asked questions like this. Um, you know, do you think your company's leadership can be trusted with development? Things like that, which really gets to the core of what you're trying to find out um, from your people. Now we're actually taking that a step further. And here in the next month or so, we're getting ready to do small breakout groups with people in the company to where we're going to bring three people in a room to sit with me and sit with a human resource department and kind of just ask them questions like, hey, you know, what are some things you would like to see changed? Uh, what are a ben what's some benefits that maybe non-financial benefits that you would like that would make you uh, happier on the job and things like that and just try to get people talking. I think a lot of times, especially accountants, we like to relegate everything to a number, a survey, an average, a mean, a median. And it, when you're dealing with human capital management, I think it's the one thing I've learned is you can't relegate things to numbers. You can't relegate things to a survey. You actually have to sit down and talk with people face to face. Now, 
Ben, I think it's been about two years since we spoke to you last. Be interested in discovering if there are how your own team has perhaps evolved or if there's new skills that uh, you might be looking to add that perhaps you hadn't even thought of uh, two years ago or what's happened. Yeah, that's a good question. We actually um, we had an intern that worked for us uh, several years ago. And uh, one of the things that stood out from him was uh, I really thought he was an ambitious person. He was very ambitious. And when I look to hire people, it's one of the top traits I look for is ambition, because I think that shows that they're proactive, which I think, like Stephen Covey says, is one of the top habits of effective people. And so um, I really like that. He showed a lot of ambition his senior year of college, um, went to school during school and got his CMA certification um, passed both sections of the exam, has since got his license after he got his experience, um, is now taking studying for a CPA exam. And so we actually hired him and as a senior accountant. And then uh, he's been promoted within a year. We promoted him to accounting supervisor. Um, we had an accounts payable person who we promoted to staff accountant. She went back to school. Um, mother has a couple kids, went back to school and got her degree in accounting. Um, so we promoted her in human resources. We've added some, some talent there. Um, our human resource manager went back and finished her degree. Um, so it's one thing for me from, I think half of my staff has gone back and done some sort of a certification or a degree over the last couple of years. So I'm, I'm constantly pushing them. I, my HR manager, she got her sort of her degree and she says, Oh, I'm so glad I'm done. I said, good. Now what's your next goal? You know, and I'll send her links to certifications because, you know, I'm, I'm always going to push my people. And quite honestly, if we as a manager are not the ones bringing up to people and saying, hey, go back to school or get the certification or go to this class or something like that, most people aren't going to push themselves to do it. They're just they're not. And so I take it upon myself really to train up, train up people, because, you know, from a competitive standpoint, I can't go out and outpay what other larger companies are doing. However, I can show loyalty. I can show development. I can put a lot of effort into helping my people and working with them and investing dollars into their training. And that allows me to be competitive in the long term without having to pay, you know, enormous amounts of salaries like other people are doing. What about technology? Uh, in the past, you had been uh, pretty forward thinking in terms of business intelligence and the use of technology. Are there new tools that have uh, grown with your, your team efforts? Yeah, we actually, in the last uh, year, year and a half, we implemented a new um, a manufacturing environment system downstairs in production. Uh, we've rolled it out to about half of our production. Um, and what we're trying to do is we realize that we spend a lot of time in administrative tasks downstairs in production and that we need to probably put more focus on the actual value add activities, which is building casters um, and component parts. So what we've done is we implemented a new floor reporting system that actually has our machines talking directly to our ERP system. So every time a machine cycles, um, it's sending a signal um, to our ERP system and they know what tool they're running. They know how many parts per shot and the system is automatically reporting live reporting. Um, machines are telling the system uh, when it experiences a problem, like when the machine slows down against standard cycle counts, when it's going into down mode, things like that. 
And so it, one, allows us for faster reporting, removing some of the administrative tasks, and two, it allows us with some advanced visualizations that we have through our production floor where somebody can walk through and they see a 46-inch screen and they can look at all the resources around it and see which ones are running to cycle, which ones are running behind cycle, who's logged into it, you know, what the status is, what they're running, where they stand in terms of the job. So it kind of automates a lot of the reporting, the administrative reporting process. I'm a big believer of taking a lot of the administrative part out of um, the reporting process, um, specifically in production reporting, but also standard transaction reporting, financial report printing, things like that. There's no reason why we can't automate a lot of those type of things. Now, Ben, you are the finance leader for Tenti's North American Operations, which is part of a larger global organization. Um, enlighten us about manufacturing here in the U.S. and how it's still very much competitive in the global scheme of things. What we see, at least in our industry, and we deal a lot in the medical industry, is that you can't relegate everything down to a piece price. And a lot of people like to do that when you're talking about, you know, cheap little parts. But when you're talking about one of the big things here in the U.S. is risk and liability and exposure. And when you're dealing with medical companies that are multi-billion dollar companies and they're talking about the risk and exposure and liability they have, the last thing they want to do is go and, you know, save $50,000 a year on buying some cheap part from a low cost provider overseas um, and at the same point in time, increasing the likelihood of some sort of a um, some sort of a product recall or a quality issue. You know, we have some medical manufacturers that they they won't even change their supplier unless you can save them a half a million dollars because they'll say it costs us a half a million half a million dollars to get an FDA um, to go through the FDA regulation, the FDA process, certification process. So unless you can save me X amount of money per year, it's not even worth me switching because of the the totality of that process and how, how long it takes them and that resources put into it. So from that standpoint, what we provide is we provide, we're a partner. And that's pretty much simply all I can say is that we aren't somebody who's just going to say, here's your price and go at it. We're at somebody who's going to come into your place. We're going to sit down with your engineers. We walk a lot of our, with our customers through their development process. You got to think some of our people that we work with and GEs and things like that, their development cycle can be three or four years for a product, you know, so they don't just want somebody to come in and say, you know, here's your piece price and here's what we have to offer. Their requirements may change three, four, five times during the development cycle. So they need a partner who's willing to adapt and change with them as their needs change throughout the development cycle. So our value add is that we don't just provide parts, we provide solutions. And that's what we like to tell people. We're here to provide solutions. We're not here to just provide parts. Um, we have engineering support on the ground. We've met some of our customers before that have had a problem. We've gone into the hospital with them, actually at location to work on the problem with them. We go to their buildings on their manufacturing lines. That doesn't happen when you're buying from a low-cost provider somewhere on the other side of the world who actually, not only will they not give you engineering support, they actually want you to pay before you even see your product. That's that's not us. That doesn't scream a lot of a ringing endorsement for, hey, we support what we're sending you. However, when we have our engineers in there working with you the whole time throughout the entire process, that says, we support you, we support your device, we're here to help. 
And that's one thing I think that can set us apart and that makes us competitive. And I think that's what makes a lot of people in certain industries competitive. Now, if you tell me, could I do that in the cell phone case industry? I tell you, no, I can't because, you know, those things are a dime a dozen. But you tell I do that in a value added product uh, industry that's a, a quality required industry. Yeah, I can do that. And I think that's something that can set me apart. Very interesting. Uh, we were speaking recently with a CFO from uh, Siemens Healthcare, Nitin Gupta, who is CFO of Siemens uh, Molecular Imaging. And he explained how finance was required to take on a leadership role in helping the business interpret how the buying habits of its large healthcare uh, provider customers were changing their buying habits radically in response to the, the Affordable Care Act. And here finance was helping the organization uh, respond to uh, to the disruption uh, that the Affordable Care Act uh, triggered. Yeah, I mean, really, in the end, when you look at it, a lot of our customers are nurses. You know, they're people who are moving around equipment, moving around beds, and like you said, you know, with... Affordable Care Act and different things resolving around fees in the medical industry and Social Security, uh, Medicare payments and things like that. It's forced hospitals to make cuts and making cuts means less people. Less people means less, less nurses to move around the same amount of equipment and the same amount of weight, which means we have to find a way to increase mobility for them to make make it easier for heavier, heavier weights to be pushed by less effort. So things like electronic casters, electronic wheels that are inner um, inner work with electronic movement systems underneath the bed, built into the bed, into the carts, electronic braking systems, things like that, to where it makes it easier for less people to move and manage these types of equipment. We're seeing the same exact thing. It just rolls down in a different form. Thought Leader listeners, don't go anywhere. We have more of our interview after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. So, Ben, what are your priorities as a finance leader over the next 12 months? Yeah, I think uh, our priorities are probably a couple different things. One is more efficient in our uh, production operations environment. You know, everybody's required to do more with less. Um, and that's no different in our company. And so how we drive efficiency and how we can weed out the non-value added activities throughout the organization are always a priority and continue to be a high priority for me. Um, I think the second thing, which probably one is 1A and this one's 1B, is human capital management. How we get good talent in the building and how we can develop this talent even further. Um, I think that's really what's going to allow companies like our size uh, to be competitive in a global marketplace because my competitors aren't in Kentucky. They're not just in the Midwest or in the States. My competitors are in the entire world. And so that requires me to 
um, do a lot of different things in order to be competitive in terms of personnel management. So, you know, we put a lot of effort into how do we train our employees? How do we bring people up? Um, how do we bring up the next generation of managers and leaders within our organization? Because I firmly believe, firmly believe you're only as good as your next uh, successor. So um, that's one of the things that I put a high priority on in my job. Ben Mulling, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. At CFO Thought Leader, we wanted to give you, the listener, some added clout when it comes to selecting next season's CFO guests. We call it Listener's Choice. And in the months ahead, our Listener's Choice guests will enjoy some added box office clout as we advance the CFOs you most want to hear from into next season's CFO lineup. To learn more about CFO Thought Leader's Listener's Choice, visit us at cfothoughtleader.com or go ahead and email me at jack at cfothoughtleader.com. Hey, one last thing. It's no secret when we originated CFO Thought Leader, it was with iPhone users in mind. Android users, we have neglected you. And so to make amends, we just released a CFO Thought Leader mobile app just for you. It's now ready for download on Google Play and Amazon Android Markets. No matter what world you're part of, thank you for listening.